Welcome to the DC Beer Show, everybody. We are at DC Beer across social media. Mike Stein, what's in your Stein tonight? In Stein Stein on this fine evening is Lost Generation Brewing Company's Grave Shift. Dark Lager, FT Dubs. Um, so we had a wonderful uh, sampling session at Lost Generation this week, uh, media and industry night, because you know, sometimes I write, sometimes I brew, I wear many hats. Wonderful dark lager. The standout to me was this uh, grave shift. And Jared Pulliam is a wonderful brewer. Um, Going to have an article forthcoming, uh, What's in Stein Stein, on this black lager. Um, but I should also say their IPA was delightful. I hate IPAs. Their IPA was great. Um, so that says a lot for me. It makes sense with him, uh, you know, having worked at uh, Lagunitas, you know, America's biggest IPA producer, to my recollection. Um, so, yeah, Dark Lager for the win. Also try the IPA if you're a hophead. Uh, Brandy, what are you drinking this evening? Or what have you had recently that you know, took took a fancy to. Well, speaking of Grave Shift from Lost Generation, I drank two of those glorious bad boys last night. Uh, Def, my favorite beer at Lost Generation. Um, just to reiterate what Stein said, I mean, I'm in love. I'm in love with Lost Generation. <laughs> I'm wearing the shirt right now. I'm going to be repping that shit for, for quite a while. Nicest people. If you haven't checked out the article... Um, and all the cool picks and, and the recaps, Avi, go to DC Beer and, and check it out. Um, tonight, I'm not currently at this second drinking anything, but um, I took an, I'm taking an ASL class at Streetcar 82, um, the deaf-owned brewery located in Hyattsville. Um, and while I was there, I drank Hop and Lager, uh, or Buzz and Lager, not Hop and Lager, the Buzz and Lager, which is the honey lager. Um, and, uh, had a lovely time. It was a fun class. <laughs> oh, hey. For those that can't see, Brandy just did the ASL. <laughs> she signed out fun class. It was so great. shout out to, uh, Mark, who actually recently was, uh, awarded from the Maryland office of the deaf and hard of hearing, uh, the spirit of death, the deaf ecosystem award for his support and empowerment of the economic mobility of deaf and hard of hearing individuals. Um, so cheers to Mark, um, and the whole community and, uh, uh, you know, just deliciousness in my belly. Um, Jordan, hi, what you, what you drinking? <laughs> I'm drinking, um, one of the good old vanilla porters from Black Flag out of Columbia, Maryland. That's one of my favorite breweries, uh, just because they do all things nerd related. Um, so enjoying that. Uh, I definitely want to shout out Streetcar 82 uh, because I, I do appreciate what they're doing there. And as also the resident hophead, I know I'm drinking a porter right now, but as a resident hophead, Mike, I have to second that Lost Generation has some phenomenal mm. IPAs. So if you're listening to this, definitely make your way down to Lost Generation as soon as you can. It will not disappoint. Uh, yeah, all things are good over here. Jake, what is in your I am today? celebrating the end of National Rock Beer Month. Uh, with Table Brewing out of Richmond, Virginia's Piwo Grzyski. Um, it's a Polish-style oak-smoked wheat beer. It's uh, uh. So 
I just got chills. Yes. <laughs> it, it moved. I just need a, I just need Jordan's voice to do that, like the name, the style of the beer, and then I'm like, I might get a little, you know, feels over here. Yeah. <laughs> so. so you know, like three point eight percent. Little sweet, little smoky, um, delightful. I picked it up at a craft beer cellar, and you could probably. Uh, if not there, check out any number of North Virginia's fine beer stores. But yeah, it's National Ralph here. But smoky. Yeah. You described me. Oh, hello. <laughs> Shout out to Erica G, owner, chief commander in beer at the Craft Beer Cellar. Erica. At the best beer shop on 8th Street, best beer store in the District of Columbia, IMHO. Who is actually um, yeah, having so, a uh, mindful drinking festival? That's right. On November fifth, festival is happening. Yeah. Um, speaking November of Eric, 5th, yeah. Okay. Uh, Erica and Derek Brown um, are coming together, joining forces for a very unique event. Um, they're calling it a festival, and it's called mindful drinking. And you're like, what? What's that? It's really focused on non-alcoholic or and low ABV beer, spirits, and wine. And a lot of, most of us listening to the podcast, you know, we are beer drinkers, you know, but I was kind of surprised um, in a good way that there's such a need for this type of event. Um, there's been a large support system uh, and people, folks are just swooning over this event and and buying tickets. So if you're interested in that event, I would go ahead and get your ticket because they're selling very, very quickly. Um, so cheers to Erica and Derek Brown for doing something different and, you know, bringing mindful drinking. What else is going on on November 5th? Oh, Jordan. Well, I, I have to shout out Baltimore's Craft whoop, Beer whoop. Festival. Uh, because that, that's definitely going to be a place to be. Uh, Baltimore, they have so many different breweries that offer so many different varieties. And they, and they brew beer very well. If it's anything like the Frederick one, which I'm assuming it's going to be maybe bigger, I would assume. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's going to be really, really, really fantastic. But I hope I get to go. And I want to check out a brewery that I've been to a long time ago and been around for a long time, but never really brewed my style of beers, like they were always super sweet and big quaddy, you know, um, but I'm, I want to give, I want to have their beer again. So if you're at um, the Baltimore Craft Beers Festival, you should go check out Heavy Seas. Um, and speaking of, that might be mm-hmm. our guest on the show tonight, Jake. Indeed it is. I had a chance to sit down with CEO and founder of Heavy Seas, Hugh Sisson, and we'll take it away. We're here with Hugh Sisson, the CEO and founder of Baltimore's Heavy Seas Brewing, formerly Clipper City. Hugh, thank you for joining us. How are things up there? It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. I figure we'll jump right in with uh, the news of the moment, and that is National Premium is coming back to Baltimore under uh, Heavy Seas, is it not? We're producing it. The The gentleman who owns the brand, is, is his name is Tim Miller. He bought the brand rights from, 
I guess it was Pabst Brewing because they still own the rights for National Bow. Um, so he brought the brand rights years ago. He doesn't have a brewery. He's never had a brewery. He's never going to have a brewery. Uh, so he's been contracting it out. He approached us years ago and we just didn't have the capacity, but, um, he approached us again, I guess, I don't know, about nine or 10 months ago. And, you know, it was just too good an opportunity. I mean, this is a product that should be made in Baltimore, not Delaware, not wherever the hell where. It should be made in Baltimore. So, and and since my facility is located not a half mile down the road from the last place where that beer was brewed when it was still brewed in Baltimore, I mean, it kind of feels like it's come home. So, so we're 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 happy to do it. It's just sort of a nice good karma thing. Cool. What's the packaging going to look like in the greater Baltimore, Washington area? It looks like it looks pretty much like it used to look. I mean, the, he's got all the rights to all the old graphics. Um, he is still using uh, the the labels that have a little bit of sort of the foil in them, which is kind of a pain in the ass because they don't work very well on our label. <laughs> We're working on that. But um, no, I mean, I mean, he's got the rights to all the old graphics and he's using them. And, and look, it's a fun project. It's a nice lager beer. It's, you know, those of us who've been doing, you know, these big artisanal, and that's kind of what we're known for is big beers. Um, these big artisanal uh, contemplative beers. Every now and then it's nice to just have a goddamn beer. And this kind of fills that niche. I was going to say, I haven't seen, I haven't seen Clipper City Gold in a minute. And so there's a, there's a beer flavored beer um, hole. Well, we, we, we don't make Clipper City Gold anymore, but we actually do make a beer called Well-Made Lager, which is a relatively new thing for us, which is exactly what the name says it is. And, and as you said, beer flavored beer. And, and I love that term because, again, you know, we, we should not forget those of us who've been doing this craft beer thing for a long period of time. We should not forget that, you know, there's room in the market for just plain, give me a goddamn beer. So, at least I think so. The other bit of news is that you all seem to be skipping over the seltzer trend and going into um, canned cocktails, um, grabbing a uh, distiller's license. Um, yeah, we certainly did. The uh, yeah, there's a reason for that. the 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 seltzers were almost exclusively malt based. And in order to do that right, you needed to make a, a totally clear uh, malt-based alcohol. And that's actually not easy. Uh, in order for us to have done that, we would have had to make a pretty significant investment uh, in some equipment. And at the time we were looking at that, um, you know, 85%, I think the numbers plus or minus of, of the entire seltzer category is two companies. You know, between White Claw and Truly, which is Sam Adams and, and uh, Mike's Hard Lemonade, I mean, how much room really was there? Um, with the RTDs, we could we could enter this field um, without enormous capital investment. Um, the key for us was could we execute it well? And I'm uh, I'll, I'll flatter my team. 
uh, and say, I think they did an outstanding job on the, on the formulations and the flavor profile development. So, um, yeah. And, and, you know, the, the world is changing. Beer has lost share to spirits for 15 years in a row now. So if you are a brewer, it's time to start figuring out how you can broaden what you're offering to the public, because otherwise you're going to get left in the dust. I have been up to the tap room, but I have to assume that you all experimented with seltzer, at least on premise, a couple pilot batches, put something on, gauge people's reactions before moving over into, um, I guess, the, the quote unquote RTD ready to drink canned cocktails as opposed to seltzer. We, we did play with it a little bit, but we didn't, we really didn't spend that much time on it. I mean, we really kind of said, so I, I made the decision, I want to say just about 12 months ago now that we were going to do this. And I dealt with a little bit of resistance from uh, my brewmaster and the production team. But, but having said that, once they embraced it, I mean, they embraced it. Uh, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm really happy with, with the results of what, of what they did. It's, it's more a question of, I really want to make sure that whatever we do, we do well. And I wasn't convinced that without a, probably about a half a million dollar investment, we could do the seltzers and do it well. And I thought the market was probably a little too crowded at the time that we would have been able to enter it. So with the RTDs, it's going to get crowded. There's no doubt about it, but we're kind of one of the first ones locally, regionally to do it. Um, I mean, dogfish is in the market. Flying dogs got some stuff in the market. Uh, but, but we're kind of a little early on in the, in the process. Um, and I don't know where it's going to go, but I, I do know that, you know, just doing beer these days is maybe not enough. No, it's an, it's an interesting play on your part. I mean, I think Heavy Seas has been around since the mid-90s, although it was known as Clipper City, City originally. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to celebrate 27 years of operations this December. That's impressive. I mean, do, do the other breweries, um, the other alcohol producers in and around Baltimore treat you as something of an elder statesman, a wacky uncle? <laughs> <laughs> I think all of the above. Huh. I mean, yeah, uh, okay. I, I did blaze a lot of the trails, but you know, having said that, you're still only as good as the last six pack of beer you sold. You're still only as good as the as the last thing that you that you did to move the ball down the field. So, I, I mean, I don't think I don't think anybody can ever accuse us of resting on our laurels. And and, and as far as you know, as long as I'm running the damn place, we will never be guilty of that. So speaking of the old school, for me, like coming of age in beer down here in D.C., one of the things that I really came to appreciate were casks. And for the longest time, um, Clipper City, Heavy Seas, was the largest cask ale producer, um, certainly in the area, if not the East Coast, if not the United States. We were we were definitely a player in that in that arena. There's no doubt about it. But then even before the pandemic and on premise took a hit, although it's obviously bouncing back now, we started to see that interest kind of to win. Yeah, I, I unfortunately and I and I totally mean this, cask beer 
as a significant portion of the market mix for on-premise retailers in the country is not a big deal. It's too much work. We're not, we are not culturally used to it. Uh, if you go to the UK and, and don't forget, Caspier almost completely disappeared there before uh, what's the group that uh, camera brought it back because it's, it's work. And there's not a lot of retailers who really want to work that hard at it. And I don't say that as a, as a condemnation. I just say it's, it's, it's hard enough to run a bar or a restaurant and, and in, in today's thing, you know, have the right product mix and the right menu mix and the right service to have to deal with something that, oh, if we don't move this in the next 24 hours, it's all going to go bad. So I think the problem with the cask thing is that just a lack of what I would call true publicans who were committed to this kind of product. I mean, we still do it. We will always do it. But the, you know, the scale of what we were doing is certainly diminished. Yeah. I mean, there, there are certainly a handful of places in DC, a couple in Virginia where you can go and you can get, you know, this, this real ale that's, you know, drawn out of a beer engine hand pumped. Uh, but certainly it, it used to be, um, much more of a thing, and obviously it still is in the UK, um, thanks to the efforts of camera. Yeah, right. No, that's a good thing. I mean, we, we, we even went so far as that we uh, procured several, honest to God, legitimate wooden firkins, which we would only take, we would carry them by hand to events because they cost like $500, and it, all you had to do was drop them once, and then it was screwed. But, um, but I mean, I mean, we... You know, cask ale has always been one of my great loves personally. So uh, we will always continue to do it. I wish that it was a bigger portion of the overall market these days, but it's just not, sadly. Yeah, I mean, here, here, here. Uh, but, you know, we had, it does, it t- takes time, it takes expertise, it doesn't store well, it doesn't travel right. well. And bad cask beer is bad beer. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's even before you know some U.S. brewers started putting uh, you know Twix bars and oranges. Oh yeah, well look, there's eight thousand breweries in the last eight years, and I'm sure my numbers are slightly off, but you know what I'm saying. If you're starting a new brewery these days, I mean, how challenging is it? You know, if you just want to make a great American style IPA, if you're if you're opening in in the Mid Atlantic market, you've got to deal with the fact that. You know, I'm already established there. Dogfish is already established there. There's a number of established players. Any market you go in, there's already a number of people who've who've kind of gotten that battlefront established. So that means that you've got to do some things just to differentiate yourself. And it's a challenge. Uh, I mean, I don't really think the world needs another jalapeno peanut butter chocolate porter, but if that's what you got to do to carve out a niche for yourself, let's hope it's a really good jalapeno chocolate peanut butter porter. It could win gold at the uh, GABF, you know, category 175. Best <laughs> chocolate jalapeno peanut butter porter. Chocolate jalapeno porter. Imperial chocolate jalapeno porter. Oh, you see it. Double it up. 12, 12% pours like sludge. It's got the gravity of Kahlua. The, kid, the kids love it. It's well, great. that is... Uh, a slightly cynical perspective, but I happen to agree with you. I think one of the things that is a challenge for craft beer 
these days is we are, we still, some of us still tend to take this stuff entirely too seriously. I mean, at the end of the day, it's beer. Nobody's going to die. The world isn't coming to an end. So I, I happen to think that it, it's, you know, from my perspective uh, on our scale, I look at quality from both a, a subjective and an objective perspective. Subjective quality is I don't like hoppy beer. You make the best hoppy beer in the world. I don't like it. Therefore, subjectively, I say, oh, that's bad. Uh, and that's, that's kind of a crappy perspective. Um, objective quality or what I call professional quality is I made it, you bought it, you liked it, you go to buy it again, it better be the goddamn same. And that kind of consistency is hard. And, you know, some of the market is actually beginning to embrace that because they're getting tired of spending $20 for four 16 ounce cans, cans of beer that they go, that wasn't so good. Um, so I think that we're beginning to see a little bit of uh, the market coming back to established people. You know, they, they walk into the store and they go, okay, there's all this stuff. I know that's going to be good. So I'm going to buy that now. This is interesting to me because there's this knock on the craft beer customer that they can be very promiscuous. And so they've certainly enjoyed that six pack of loose cannon and they know that heavy season is consistent and the next six pack is going to taste the same. Yet um, there's some little voice in the back of their head that, oh, well, I've had that. And so maybe I should go have something else instead. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, that's the battle we fight every single day. And that's, you know, you, you have to be constantly attempting to reinvent yourself. So we do, some, we do the small batches and we do the, you know, the limited releases. Um, and we do have some, we do have a lot of fun with those. And occasionally we do some things that we all look at each other and say, we're not doing that again. But at the end of the day, you need to be, consistency is what I call professional quality. And I just believe that if you're going to be a professional brewer and you're going to, and this is your, your career, this is my career. This is not a hobby. Um, that's where you need to focus. And, you know, go back to Jerry Bailey's days at Old Dominion. He focused on that. You know, I've focused on that. A lot of the, uh, a lot of the folks that I believe are, are some of the most respectable brewers in the country have focused on that. Jerry Bailey's a deep cut. That's when Old Dominion was still brewed in the, in the Old Dominion. Yeah, um, yeah. I actually spoke to him, um, I guess, about three months ago. He lives in uh, Michigan now. And I called him up because we're thinking about dabbling in the soda arena at one point. And I know they did a lot of root beer. And he, he got on the phone and he said, how you doing? I don't remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> could be good, could be bad. Yeah. I like. I always loved Jerry. He was a good man. But I mean, you, you sit in rare air as someone who's owned this brewery for 27 years. You're in something like, I think, is it 18 states? Something like that. I guess my question is how many of these 8,000 or so breweries want to be heavy seas? Like I ask this of a lot of the younger brewers and is that do, do they want to become regional players is, are some of their investors going to whisper in their ear that growth is going to be good no matter what, or, you know, should you hang out with, you know, like a five, 10 barrel system? 
and just, you know, crank out beer and, you know, serve like a 50 mile radius and live your life. That's a, those are all totally valid questions. I mean, it, it, it's, um, I think it's part of just sort of when you're, when you're starting out, you need to define what your mission is. Um, you know, of the 8,000 new breweries in the last whatever years it is, you know, probably 85% of them are built uh, almost exclusively on a taproom model. So you're, you're basically a stripped down brew pub. Um, so, and if that's your business plan, uh, then no, you don't want to be me at all. Uh, you you want to continue to do all the different small batches and one-offs and 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 because that's what's that's what's driving people to come to your door. Now I don't know in the long term how sustainable that model is, and I mean that sincerely. It may be enormously sustainable. It may not be. Uh, the 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 challenge is going to be if the number of breweries that are opening continues to accelerate, you know, how long can you differentiate yourself from the 14 other guys who just opened within a half mile of where you're located? I don't know the answer to that. No, I don't, I don't know either. It's why I, it's why I asked. I think it's a lot of people are asking. I've been doing this a long time. And if there's one thing that I've definitely learned over the years that I've been doing this, and I've been brewing professionally since 1989. So it's like 33 some years right now between uh, heavy cities, Clipper City, and then Sisson's, my family's brew pub before that. Um, you know, I still learning. I'm still humbled by the industry. Um, I, you know, I have a lot of experience, but I sure as hell don't know it all. Since the word brew pub has now been mentioned several times, I'm just going to let the listeners know that Hugh Sisson is one of the reasons that Maryland had brew pubs in the first place. And so you're no stranger to uh, the Maryland um, Legislative Assembly uh, no. down in Annapolis. Yep. Um, they seem to be somewhat conflicted there about tap rooms and the role they might play vis-a-vis bars, restaurants, beer and wine stores. It's come a long way. Um, and I was pretty involved in probably 80% or more of all the legislation that's come out affecting our industry over the last I don't know, 33 some years, something like that. Um, the, the, the key is, and it's going to be very interesting to see what happens going forward because for the last eight or 12 years or so, uh, the Maryland comptroller, Peter Franchot has been a real proponent of our industry. Uh, so he's really helped, I think in a lot of ways, you know, w- with, with, his career coming to an end and the change in the, in the governor's mansion. Uh, I just don't know if the legislative climate is going to be as uh, welcoming as it has been in the past. I don't know that it's not, I just don't know. Um, But, you know, the whole thing is if I go back to 1987, which is when I first started lobbying for brew pubs uh, in the state of Maryland, you know, you had to explain to the legislator what it was you were talking about. And nobody knew, I certainly didn't know, where this industry was going to go. And then over the years, you began, because legislators, look, they just assume be done with you and then not have to talk to you for 10 years. 
Um, yeah, get you, get you out of the office. Get someone that's else right. in. That's that's right. But the the nature of the industry was we needed to keep going back. You know, we needed to to lift the the production ceiling caps, or we needed to do this, or we needed to do that. Um, and I will never forget. Uh, I don't really remember what year, but I I came into a hearing and I needed to testify on something, and uh, an elder statesman who I probably had testified in front of four or five times before, looked up and he sat up in his chair and he put his glasses on his nose and he said, oh, Mr. Sisson, what do you want now? <laughs> <laughs> Haven't they given you enough? <laughs> exactly. And it was, you know, it was one of those moments you go, hmm, maybe these guys have seen me just a little too often. <laughs> it is possible to wear out a welcome in an Athens. Well, it is. All right, Hugh. I'm going to put you on the spot and have you take us out with what people don't know is that you're into wine as well. Um, and you've got seller notes um, on Baltimore Public Radio, uh, WIPR. What are you pairing uh, with Thanksgiving dinner this year? Oh, okay. Wine pairing with Thanksgiving dinner. I tend to lean towards either Cru Beaujolais or if I, and I'm a big believer in uh, the Loire Valley. Uh, Vouvray's and or the Chenin Blanc from South Africa as being really good pairings with Thanksgiving dinner. There you go. You heard it from Hugh. Blackbeard's breakfast with the pie. I wine wine with dinner. That's right. Wine um, with dinner. Uh, well, you know, actually, you can do, depending on what you have for dinner, you can do a lot of beers with dinner too. But the, uh, but absolutely. Yeah, Blackbeard's, Blackbeard's breakfast with the pie or the greater pumpkin with the pie. There you go. All right, Hugh Sisson, thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. All right. We're back. Thank you so much, Hugh. 27 years in the business, um, sort of like the godfather of the whole Baltimore craft scene. Um, the reason that Maryland was allowed to get brew pubs in the first place. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Parting thoughts, folks. Come see me at Other Half. Uh, tomorrow, the 29th for the pop-up. Please and thank you. <laughs> and for those interested in everything that we've been talking about, definitely check out Lost Generation because their grand opening is happening this weekend. So definitely come in, enjoy the beers, whether it's the seltzers, the sours, the IPAs, or the infamous dark the dark lager. Enjoy it. Have a good time. Uh, and definitely add that to your list of DC breweries to hit in and every time you're out in the district. Hell yeah. Yes. On a final note, I don't care where you're doing it, but I care what you're doing, and that is supporting small businesses in D.C. Be you supporting Bees Knees Vintage, the pop-up at Other Half or, or Pinwheel or any of the small vendors there. Wonderful. Uh, if you're buying Other Half at uh, somewhere else around town, great. If you're supporting DC Brow at Church Key tonight, wonderful. If you pull up to the DC Brow tap room, you're sure to find Paulette Palacios, wonderful, wonderful host hostess at uh, DC Brow Brewing Company. You know, our beer is great, but our people are even better. Go support our beautiful people like Paulette at DC Brow. Support our homies Matt at Other Half or Kofi, at Astro Lab or. Kofi at Metro Bar. Boom, it's a double. <laughs> you you support Sankofa and you support Metro Bar. Let's go, black-owned businesses. You gotta put your money where your mouth is. 
you know, I was talking to Brandon Skull, the CEO of DC Brow, and he said, now, 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 now is the time to support our small businesses. If we want to see them a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, you got to support. So thank you all for being good listeners. Now go put your money where your mouth is. If you don't drink beer, give your money to Craft Beer Cellar, who's doing this mindful drinking festival where you don't have to have any alcohol. It's all near beer, non-alcoholic cocktails and wine and cider. It's, it's amazing. You have so many options. Please go support friends. Thank you for listening to the DC Beer Show. We are at DC Beer. Be excellent to each other, and we will see you out there. All right. Till next time. Cheers. Cheers.